I didn't come to bring a message. I came to see your life change forever. Amen. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Spirit of God and the gifting that God has placed on our life. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Okay? So John Bevere himself can do nothing, but he's not in himself. He's what? He's been called by God to bring this to you. So this is a morning. I want you to just join your faith with me and believe that your life is going to be changed forever. Amen? So let's ask God to do it. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for what you've done already in this conference. But Lord, I thank you that it goes from glory to glory and faith to faith. So I'm asking, Holy Spirit of God, that you'll literally invade this sanctuary. That you will, Lord God, cause our eyes to be open to see, our ears to be open to see. Give us a heart to be able to understand and perceive what you are saying in this time, in this very moment. In Jesus' name, we vow to give you all the glory, praise, and thanksgiving in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, I'm asking not only your word to be preached, but you would definitely demonstrate your power in here this morning. The Lord God, you will confirm your word. I'm asking you, Father, with signs and wonders following in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody that agrees says, come on, give him praise. Give him praise. Amen. 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 You can be seated. How many of you were here last night? Let me see a show of hands. If you were here. How many of you were not here last night? Let me see a show of hands. I'm not getting upset with you. I just need to know how much I'm going to review. Put your hand up high if you weren't here. Okay, there's a good number of you. So let me review quickly. Let me say this this morning. Um, I believe with all my heart, and I'm not just saying this, we are on the verge of one of the greatest moves of the Spirit of God our nation has ever seen. Now, a thought hit me last year. It has been 40 years since the Jesus Revolution. Now, I know 50 years ago was the baptism, but it began to fade out of 40 years ago. And at the end of it fading out, God spoke to my heart and said, I'm, I've given my church a thimbleful of my power to see how she'll handle it, see if she'll market it, make money off of it, use it to draw people to herself. We didn't handle it well. So the Lord said, I'm going to bring my church into a wilderness. And in that wilderness... I am going to develop in her the character to be able to handle the full measure of my power. Okay? Now, it hit me just last year, the end of last year, that it's been 40 years. Isn't it interesting that Moses is on the backside of the desert for 40 years? Isn't it interesting Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days? But when he came out, he came out in the power of the Spirit. Everybody say the power of the Spirit. And so God spoke to my heart about 30 years ago, and he said, the final move of my spirit on earth before Jesus returns is going to be a move of holy awe and fear, the fear of the Lord. And that made sense to me. I started thinking about it. Well, the Bible, the only thing that says that will perfect holiness is the fear of the Lord. Paul the apostle said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. He said, you perfect holiness in the fear of God. Okay? Not in the love of God. And we heard about that last night, right? And so I realized that what's coming is a mighty move of God's Spirit. And I want to say this, that this move is going to blanket the nation. It's not going to be areas. It's going to, it's going to blanket because the early rain, wherever they went, the same things were happening. The latter rain is going to cover the earth. Okay, so, so it's people saying, oh, God showed us the move is going to start here, start here. I hear it all over the country. It's because it's going to be everywhere. Right. Amen? Amen. Now, there's one of three things that can happen when God begins to move. 
One of three things, one of three places you can be. You can be on the outside looking in. You can be resisting it. Or you can be flowing with the wave of his spirit. Okay? What I'm going to share with you this morning is to get you into that third place. I don't want to see you on the outside looking in. I don't want to see you resisting what God's doing. Let me tell you something. In past moves, God would begin something and men would end it. In this move, God's going to begin something. If men get in the way, they're going to be taking out. And I'm going to show you that this morning, okay? And so I really, really, really want you to listen carefully. The fear of the Lord is not something to be scared of. In fact, the Bible says that God reserves friendship for those who fear him. Okay, Jesus said, you're my friends if. The if is you walk in the holy fear of God. We showed that last night. And for those of you that weren't here last night, what is the fear of God? It is nothing to do with being afraid of God. Please write that down. The fear of the Lord, the first thing you have to understand, it is not to be scared of God. It is to be actually terrified of being away from God. If you look at Moses, he said to the children of Israel, when God came down on the mountain, they all ran away. They said, we can't handle his presence. Moses said to them, do you know what he said? Do you remember? He said, do not fear because God's come to test you to see if his fear is in you so that you may not sin. Moses isn't contradicting himself. He's saying, don't be scared of God because God has come to test you to see if his holy fear is on the inside of you. And look at what he says, so that you may not sin. Do you know Proverbs 16, 8 says, by the fear of the Lord, one departs from evil. Not by the love of God. That famous evangelist that was in prison told me, he said, John, I love Jesus the whole time. I didn't fear God. See, God has given us two great forces to keep us on the narrow road of life. The fear of God and the love of God. The love of God keeps us from the ditch of legalism. The fear of God keeps us from the ditch of lawlessness. What is lawlessness? That is, I am a law unto myself. I make it optional whether I'm going to obey God or not. Did you hear that? Lawlessness says it's optional for me to obey God or not. If it doesn't fit into culture, my ideas, my wants, my ways, I'm not going to obey him. See, Eve wasn't drawn to the evil side of of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. She was drawn to the good side. When she saw it was good, what it would make her wise. She saw it as beneficial outside of God's authority. God said, don't touch it, you'll die. She said, that's good for me. So lawlessness is when you are the determiner of what's good for you. Are you following me? A person who fears God says, I know God is my maker. He knows what breaks me. He knows what unmakes me. He knows what fixes me. Therefore, I'm going to choose to obey him. That's the fear of the Lord. Are you with me? With So the fear of the Lord is not to be scared of God. It's actually to be terrified of, of being away from him. But there is a holy awe to it. Because I want you to look what God says in the book of Jeremiah. He says this. Do you not fear me? He is asking a question. Do you not fear me, says the Lord? Will you not tremble at my presence? So there's actually a trembling, a fear that is attractive, not repulsive. Will you not tremble? I told you last night, when the fear, when that presence, that mighty presence of God manifested in Malaysia, it manifested in Brazil, I was actually drawn to it, even though my mind was screaming, I can't handle this presence. 
It was so powerful. Now, the thing is, I'm going to make a statement of truth here. All right? Our holy fear grows proportionally to our comprehension of God's glory. Although God's glory is incomprehensible, okay? But to the degree that our comprehension of his glory grows in our heart is the degree that we walk in holy fear. Write that down, please. And conversely, listen to me carefully, we will diminish God's glory even to the point of human limitations the less we fear him. So the question we need to ask is what is the glory of the Lord? Okay, now you talk about the glory of the Lord, and I find a lot of people really don't get it. They'll say, oh, it's a dark cloud. Now, why do they say that? Because the dark cloud's always mentioned in the Old Testament when the glory of the Lord manifested. There's a reason that dark cloud manifested. Because the only way I can really introduce the glory of God is to say this. No mortal flesh can stand in the presence of his glory. Moses wanted to see his glory. God said, you cannot see my glory and live. So mortal flesh cannot stand in the presence of God's glory. Paul makes this statement. He said that Jesus dwells, now look at this, in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. That is 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16. Now look at this. He dwells in unapproachable light who no man has seen or can see. Remember God said, mortal flesh cannot stand in my presence, right? Now, when you think about that inapproachable light that no man can see or can see, it makes me think of what the writer of Hebrews says, that God is a consuming fire. The Bible says he wears light as a garment. The Bible says there are rays of glory that flash from his hands. So, When you think about a consumable fire, don't think about a wood-burning fire. Okay, yes, it consumes, but you can approach it. He is an unapproachable light. So let's move to another one. Let's talk about the sun. Okay, the sun is unapproachable. (laughs) Okay, it is consuming. However, there are dark spots in the sun. This is why Paul, when he was talking about when he encountered Jesus, he said to King Agrippa, he said at midday, everybody say midday. Midday. O king, along the road, I saw light from heaven, brighter than the sun, brighter than the sun shining around me. Okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Midday? Okay. I have traveled all around the world. I remember my first trip to the Middle East. You know, I could travel to places and go without my sunglasses. But I remember when I was at the Middle East. It is so bright that literally my eyes are like slivers if I don't have my, 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 my Maui gyms on. You understand what I'm talking about? Because why? There's three reasons. Number one, it's a dry climate. Number two, the terrain is very reflective. And number three, it's on the equator. Now, I'm going to say this. It wasn't so bad at 8, 9 o'clock in the morning. It wasn't so bad at 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. I didn't really need my sunglasses. But when it was around 11 to 1 p.m., it was so bright that I had to wear my 
sunglasses. Now, Paul makes this statement. He says that at midday, at noon, there was a light that was brighter than the noonday sun. Now, does that answer why the prophet Joel, the prophet Isaiah, and the John, the revelator in the New Testament says, when Jesus returns, the sun is going to be darkened? Okay. The, moon not, the moon's not going to give its light. The stars are going to be dark. Why, why, why is that? Okay, let me, let me explain it to you. When you walk outside on a clear night, what do you see? Yes. You see stars everywhere. Stars, right? Yeah. I mean, they're all in the drier the climate, the better it is. It's like magnificent, right? But what happens when the sun comes up? The stars disappear. Okay, so what do the stars do? They're out at night and they're all going, wow, this is fun shining. And then when the sun starts coming, the stars get, get ready, he's coming, he's coming. And as soon as the sun comes up, the stars go, wham! And the sun goes cruising through the sky. And when it's going down, the stars go, get ready, get ready, wham! No, the stars are all there during the day. But because the glory of the star is one level and the glory of the sun is another level, the sun darkens the stars, even though they're still shining. Well, when Jesus returns, the light that comes from him, the unapproachable light is going to darken the sun. That is why Isaiah and Joel say, the men of this earth are gonna cry out for the rocks to fall on top of me and hide me from the face of him who's coming. Remember the Bible says, the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. If we only knew, if we only knew who it is we're serving, we wouldn't take it so casual when we approach him. So what is the glory of God? Moses said to God, please, please show me your glory. So the word glory is the Hebrew word kabad. It is, its definition is the weight of something. Or it speaks of majesty, splendor, and honor. So what Moses is saying here is show me yourself in all of your splendor. That's when God said, you can't look at me and live. Right? Are you, are you tracking with me? So now look at God's response to Moses. He said, I will make all my goodness. So Moses asked for glory. God responds, I will cause all my Goodness. The goodness is the Hebrew word tuab, which means good in the widest sense. In other words, nothing's held back. Okay? Are you with me? So there's, okay. <laughs> okay. So, so here's where confusion comes in with people. They go, wait a minute. How come God says to Moses, nobody can see my, my face and, and live? Joshua saw the Lord. Abraham had, I talked about Abraham having a meal with the Lord last night. Not in his glory. Right? So look at this. Let me, let me, let me, I'll explain it to you. So God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. Okay, so wait a minute. What does he mean, I'll proclaim the name of the Lord? Okay, before a king enters a, his throne room, you know, the whole audience is, they're, they're, test, they're, they're, they're trained in the protocol of what they do when the king comes in, right? Yeah. 
And then what happens? The herald proclaims the name of the king, the trumpets blow, and in walks the king in all of his glory. He's got his royal garments on. In that throne room, there is no mistake who is king. But if you see that monarch on the streets of his big, big nation, and he's got a polo shirt on and his attendants aren't around him, you might miss who he is. That's why Joshua says, are you for us or for the, for, the, for the enemy? And he said, neither. I am the commander of the Lord's host. And Joshua falls down and worships him. Joshua doesn't even recognize him. When Jesus was raised from the dead, Mary thought he was the gardener. I mean, two guys walk with Jesus on the road to Emmaus, and they don't even know who they're talking to after he's raised from the dead. After he's raised from the dead, he makes a fish breakfast for his disciples, and they don't even know who he is when he's on the seashore. But John, the apostle, who was very close to Jesus, has one glimpse of Jesus on the island of Patmos in the spirit. He couldn't have been in his body. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he said his face shone like the sun, like the sun, brighter than the sun. And he fell down like a dead man because he saw the Lord in his glory. So the glory of God, what is the glory of God? The glory of God is everything that makes God God. All his characteristics, attributes, literally the immeasurable weight and magnitude of God. Nothing's hidden or held back. See, God has hidden his glory from us. Isaiah says in Isaiah 45, aren't you a God that hides yourself? He's hidden his glory for us to see if we will look at our hearts to see his glory or if we will pay attention to the world around us. Because look what the Bible says in the last days. Everybody say the last days. Are we living in the last days? Men and women are going to trade the unfading splendor, the glory of the immortal God to worship the fading images of other human beings. That's Romans chapter 1. Okay, we have literally, we are living in a world where we are bombarded, bombarded every single day with the images of beautiful Hollywood actors and actresses, talented talented sports figures, genius scientists, and, and all, all these, you know, these public figures. We're seeing them on, inst- on social media, on mainstream media. And what it does is it constantly beats against the image of the glory of God. I remember, I remember, uh, I remember our sons, all four of our sons have worked for our ministry for at least nine years. They're, they're, uh, I think Addison was 12 and the youngest was four. And this is back in the 90s when Michael Jordan was it. Okay? All right? And there's Michael Jordan posters in the rooms. We hear about Michael Jordan all the time around the house. And it's starting to get to me. And I'm like, God, I need an idea. And I remember, you know, we were preaching on the East Coast. And the church put us on, right on the beach. And, I, and Lisa and the boys were with me. And, and the Atlantic was really rough that day. And it was so fun watching those boys getting literally thrown by the waves that day because they were trying to body surf and they were getting slammed in the sand, eating sand. I mean, you know, and so when we came in from the beach, they're all wrapped in their blanket. I opened the sliding door so you can hear the surf still pounding. And I look at the boys, I said, hey guys, that's a pretty powerful ocean out there, isn't it? They go, oh yeah. I said, it's a big ocean, isn't it? They go, yeah. I said, but you know what? You can only see one mile out. That ocean goes another 4,000 miles. 
I said, not only that, there's a bigger one on the other side of the country. It's called the Pacific. And there's two other oceans beside that. Do you guys know that God weighed every drop of water in the palm of his hand? What? Really? I said, yeah, every drop of water on this planet, he, 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 he measured in the palm of his hand. I said, and you're impressed because a guy can jump from 15-point line, hold the basketball, and put it in a little hoop. He said, whoa, Dad, we get it. I said, not only that, the Bible says he measured the universe with the, from his thumb to his pinky, with the span of his hand. I said, do you understand he created every star, put every star in the universe, and named every single one of them? I said, and you're impressed with a guy can jump from 15 point? He said, Dad, we got, you know what? Michael Jordan's influence totally waned in our household. Totally waned. Because they understood. They started seeing, ho, ho, look at it, who it is we are serving. You see what I'm saying? You still with me? Okay, so, uh-oh, I lost my place. Oh, gosh, stay with me. I, I hit the wrong button. You know what I'm talking about. This is why God says in Isaiah, to whom will you compare me? Who are you going to liken me to? Who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling every one of those stars by name. Are you starting to get what, it, what, what the glory of God is? So now let me transition. His presence, the glo his glorious presence, everybody say glorious presence, glorious presence, has dwelled in three different structures the whole time mankind's been on earth. The first one was a tent. It was called the tabernacle. That was what Moses builded, built, remember? Yes. Are you with me? Yes. Okay. And when Moses erected that tabernacle after the pattern that God gave him, right. when God moved in, they couldn't even stand. First of all, there was a dark cloud because the dark cloud was hiding the brilliance of his glory. And so the priests couldn't minister. They couldn't even stand. They were all on their faces. The next one was the temple of God. When Solomon constructed that, God came in. They couldn't even stand. Again, the cloud, his glorious presence. And the third temple has been a human being's body and it first manifested in Jesus. Are you with me? All right, so now let's go back to the tent. Everybody say the tent. Yes. God made a statement in Exodus 29, 44, and 45. He said, I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. So notice God says, I want to dwell with you because I love you so much. I want to be around you so much. I'm going to dwell with you, but I'm going to have to hide myself in a dark cloud, right? Yeah. I will also, now look at this, consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. So in other words, because the people ran away and said, God, we can't handle you, God created a priesthood. Originally, he intended all of them to be priests. Go read it in Exodus 19. The whole reason I brought you out of Egypt was to bring you to myself. I created you to be a kingdom of priests. But they passed that up. They said, we want a representative that can go for us. So Aaron and his sons are authorized, the only ones beside Moses who are authorized to come into the presence of God. Correct? Yes. All right. So I want you to notice what happens a little while after the glory of God fills the temple. In Leviticus 10.1, we read Nadab and Abihu. <laughs> Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you that? <laughs> Can I have somebody bring that down here? I want, I want to come down. Uh, not, yeah, thank you so much. All right. Nadab and Abihu. Do you see that? Yes. 
Who are they? The sons of Aaron. So question is, are they authorized to come into the presence of God? Come on, I'm asking a question. Yeah, God just said, you, Aaron, and his sons are authorized to come into my presence, right? They're priests. All right, so we got two guys who are authorized to come into the presence of God, correct? All right, the sons of Aaron each took his censer, put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. Now, the word profane, do you know what that means? It means to treat what is sacred as common. Write that down. To treat what is sacred as ordinary. Profane means to treat what is sacred as ordinary. Are you with me? They each took a censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. You ready for the next verse? So fire blazed forth from the Lord's presence, and it burned them up, and they died before the Lord. Now, did God just reach out and strike them? No. Let me give you an example. Southern Cal, what do we like to do on a nice summer warm day? We go sunbathe at the beach. Our skin gets a nice color. We look healthy, right? You know the sun's 93 million miles away, right? Okay, what happens if we go 10,000 miles in front of that sun and sunbathe? You're going to be burned up before you even get there. You put yourself in harm's way. So it's not that God reached out and struck them. It's the fact they put themselves in harm's way. So then, here's Aaron who has just lost two of his four sons. And Moses now has to address this. Because Moses is Uncle Moses. So Uncle Moses is speaking to Daddy Aaron who just lost half his family. And Moses said, this is what the Lord spoke saying. By those who come near me, I must. Must. There are the should-bes in Scripture and the must-bes. You're wise to heed those should-bes. You're a fool to ignore the must-bes. By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. What Moses just did is he gave a universal and an eternal decree. What do I mean by universal and what do I mean by eternal? Universal means this applies to every created being, whether human or angelic. By those who come near me, I must. Remember what the Bible says last night, Psalm 89, 7, God is to be greatly feared in the assembly of saints and be held in reverence by all those who surround him. The universal decree means any created being that comes around my throne, I must be regarded as holy. Can, can, I, can, can you throw up that Oswald Chambers? Can you skip and go way ahead on the PowerPoint? Let me show you what Oswald Chambers says. When we preach, gosh, you're good, Abby. When we, when we preach the love of God, there is a danger of forgetting that the Bible reveals not first the love of God, but the intense blazing holiness of God. Look at this, with his love at the center of that holiness. You are so valuable to him, he has thought about you more than there are sands of gra- grains of sands on the planet. But God says, you, the only way to get to the center of my love is to have holy fear. Because holy fear is the beginning of knowing who I really am. 
So by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy, and before all the people, I must be glorified. So he just made a universal and an eternal decree. What do I mean by eternal? Go ahead and throw that back up. What do I mean by eternal? It's always been this way. It's always going to be this way. It's never going to change. So what's never going to change is the only way to approach God is to have that holy. Remember Jesus said, our Father which art in heaven, holy, hallowed be your name. That word hallowed means to be kept holy is your name. Okay? Yes, he's daddy, but he's the king of the universe. He's the consuming fire. Are you still with me? Okay, now watch this. Somebody, um, somebody says, yeah. Can we go back to the uh, Leviticus 10.3? Somebody says, yeah, but that's the Old Testament. We live in the New Testament. Okay. Well, there's a man and a wife in the New Testament I want to show you about. But before I talk about him, let me just set the pattern up for the New Testament. Okay. Paul makes the statement, for you now are the temple of the living God. It's not a tent. It's not a temple. It is now you. You are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Where do we read that? Exodus 29. I will dwell among the children of Israel, Aaron and his sons. I have consecrated to be priests. Correct? So nothing's really changed. This is why, you know what the next statement is of Paul's? You know, we break this thing up because we write chapter and verse, but this is one long letter. You know what the next statement is? Therefore, having these promises, what promises? Of him dwelling in us and among us, in his glory, let us cleanse ourselves. Notice it doesn't say the blood of Jesus is going to cleanse you. Are you telling me the blood of Jesus doesn't cleanse me? Yes, it cleanses you. But don't confuse the work of justification with the work of sanctification. Okay, we were justified. It was a gift. You never could have done anything to earn your salvation. Jesus paid the price so you could come into the presence of God. But the work of sanctification is when we work out. Oh, work out, work out, work out. Work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work out to the outside what was done on the inside. That's why Paul says that we have to cooperate with God's grace on. Y'all looking at me like a dog at a brand new pan. Oh my gosh. This is all Bible. This is why I'm giving you so many scriptures. Let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Now look at this, perfecting holiness, not in the love of God, but in the what? By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. So you see, that, that, the, love of God, the love of God is not what perfects holiness. That evangelist found that out the hard way in jail. Are you with me? Now, let's talk about the man and woman in the New Testament. Okay, stop and think about this. Acts chapter 5, if anybody's read your Bible... We know this man and wife fall over dead, correct? A lot of people don't understand Acts 5 because they don't read Acts 4. Remember, this is one book, okay? Later on, the church put the chapters and verses in it. All right, what happens at the end of chapter 4? Barnabas, everybody say Barnabas, Barnabas. a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Stop right there, Cyprus. You know what Cyprus was? A modern-day Newport Beach, Corona del Mar, etc. If It was an island that was extremely rich in oil, in fruits, in precious metals. It had timber. If you owned land on Cyprus back in those days, you were really, really rich. It's really not the Newport Beach. It's really more like St. John's Island in Florida. 
which St. John Islands is this a really wealthy place that Paul McCartney has a summer home in, okay? So here's this guy, Barnabas. He is from Cyprus, and he had land. And what did he do? Land in Cyprus. He sold it, and he brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, they did their offerings in the open. I know you got your offering box over here. We have other people who have done buckets. But they were laying the offerings at the feet. And there's a reason for that, because Paul says that it causes the whole church to praise God and give thanksgiving. So the way they did offerings wasn't with buckets and out in the box somewhere. They brought it right to the apostles' feet. So this guy sells a really, really valuable piece of land and lays, okay, let's just put it in modern terms, lays 12 million at Peter's feet. Okay? Now, the next statement is chapter 5, verse 1, and what's the next word? But I, as an author, have written 23 books, and I've never started a chapter with the word but. Never. And there are very few authors that would ever do it. Why? Because but means I'm continuing the thought. But a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife Sapphira sold some property. Whoo, wait a minute. The guy laying $12 million at Peter's feet creates a reaction in this couple. They go out and sell a plot of land. But now look, he brought part of the money to the apostles claiming it was the full amount. With his wife's consent, he kept the rest. So they sell their big plot of land for 14 million, or let's say 18 million. And they go, you know, it's way too much to give, so let's just bring 9 million. Now, what would cause this? There is no, listen, that's a beautiful thing, bringing an offering to God. So it's not their actions that are the problem, it is their motives. Because let's just talk about this. They are probably. The big givers in the church. How many of you know giving is a gift? Do you know leadership is a gift? Do you know serving is a gift? Do you know preaching and teaching is a gift? Read it in Romans 12. You know we celebrate teaching. We celebrate preaching. We celebrate serving. Why don't we celebrate giving? Why? It's ridiculous. It's so religious. Well, my left hand's not supposed to know what my right hand's doing. Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, the blue horns, when they gave their offering. In the New Testament, they're laying at the feet in the open so the church can rejoice at what God was doing. Gosh, we got so religious. So there's a gift on this couple of giving. And they said, we've just been outdone. So they lay the money at Peter's feet. Are you tracking with me? And Peter goes, Ananias, who's probably well-established in the church by now, is this the full amount that you got for selling the land? Because Ananias says, we sold our biggest plot, and here's the full amount. And Peter's got this check. And Peter goes, is that the full amount? Yes, Peter, it is. What happens next? But Peter said, you have not lied to men, but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. They buried him. His wife comes in three hours later. Peter says, did you sell the land for so much? She said, yes, because they had consented, she and her husband. She falls over dead. And do you know what the next words are? Watch this. So great fear. Everybody say fear. Fear. Came upon all the church and upon all those who heard these things. Now, notice fear didn't come upon the city. It came upon the church. The word fear, it is the Greek word phobias, which means terror and awe. Do you know what the word great is? Megas, M-E-G-A-S is the Greek word. We get our English word mega. 
Mega fear came on the entire church. So isn't this interesting? In Acts chapter 2, they're laughing like a bunch of drunk people because people accuse them of being drunk at 9 o'clock in the morning. Oh, God's our Father, but they lose sight of His holiness. So now they think they can walk in, give an offering, and manipulate and, get, and project that they're really giving everything, and they fall over dead. Now, the first question in your mind is, I know pastors have been lied to and people don't fall over dead. True. Absolutely true. Let's go back to the tent situation. Everybody say tent. Okay. Nadab and Abba who fall over dead, right? Let's go a couple hundred years later. Now the new head priest is not Aaron, it's Eli. Eli has two sons. Their names are Hophni and Phinehas. These guys are so corrupt and wicked in the church. These are priests. They're leaders in the church. They're committing adultery with the women that come to the tabernacle. Do you understand what I just said? They're committing adultery with the women that are coming to see God. I've seen a few of this, a few of these things. They come to our churches. Paul calls them gullible women. And the pastor ends up in bed with them. Let's not be stupid, folks. Okay. They're not, listen to me. They're, they're 90 feet away from where Nadab and Abihu were struck dead. But they're not struck dead. Why? I'll show you why. Because now in those days, this is 1 Samuel 3, 1. In those days, messages from the Lord were very rare. And the visions were quite uncommon. What was happening? The presence, the glorious presence of God was so far removed. In the presence of God is where revelation comes. In the presence of God is where visions come. So that's why it was called Ichabod. The glory had departed. These guys are sinning, blatantly sinning and profaning the name of God because they are priests. They are pastors. They're ministers. 90 feet away from where Nadab and Abihu fell over dead, but they're not falling dead. Why? Because the greater the level of glory, the swifter the judgment. So what that means is no judgment or delayed judgment is not denied judgment. Okay, Paul makes a statement. Paul makes a statement in 1 Timothy 5, 24. You got to run over there. Paul says, the sins of sin, some men, I went way ahead. Gosh, you guys are good. The sins of some men are conspicuous. What does that mean? Openly evident to all eyes. Going before them to the judgment seat and proclaiming their sentence in advance. But the sins of other people appear later, following the offender to the bar of judgment and coming into full view there. In other words, yes, Hophni and Phinehas, that judgment came, but it was later and it will come before the throne of God one day. So just because there is delayed judgment or no judgment at the time doesn't mean it is denied judgment. It may, it, the sins of others come before them at the judgment seat. Are you seeing this? Are you still with me? Okay, now, why does Ananias and Sapphira fall over dead? Look what happens right after they fall over the dead. Watch this. This is Acts 5.15. They brought the sick out into the streets. Everybody say streets. streets. Say it again. Streets. They brought the sick out into the streets, laid them in beds and couches that at least the shadow of Peter would pass by them, wow. might fall on some of them, and they were healed. Wow. Now, 
Do you know what that's like? That's like Pastor Mark going through the biggest hospital in Orange County, walking down the halls and empty the entire hospital. That's the level of glory that was on the apostles. Now, you see, we, 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 we don't have that level on the ministry today. Why? Because God says, I got to hold my glory back because half of you might fall over dead. What prepares us for his glory? The fear of the Lord. So let's go back to that statement. Our holy fear grows proportionally to our comprehension of God's glory. Conversely, we will diminish God's glory even to the point of human limitations. That's why the elders in the Old Testament said the Lord doesn't see us. Can you believe it? They're elders, they're leaders, they're pastors. And they're doing things in the dark, in the shadows, that they're going, God doesn't see us. You'll see that statement over and over again in the book of Ezekiel, in the, book of, in the books, in the prophets. The, the ministers are saying the Lord doesn't see us. How in the world? Because now watch this. And the less we fear him, the more emphasis we place on how people see us. You still with me? We place more emphasis. Let me explain this to you. We have three images. Everybody say three images. Come on, talk to me. Three images. What are our three images? Our projected image, our perceived image, and our actual image. Stop and think about this. What's our projected image? That's the way we want people to see us. What's our perceived image? That's the way people see us. What's our actual image? That's the way we really are. If you look at Jesus, he was perceived as being a drunkard, a wine blibber, a a friend of sinners. But that's not who he was. His actual image, God said, I am really pleased with him. Okay? So our projected image is the way we want people to see us. So let's talk about Ananias and Sapphira. They get saved probably on on the day of Pentecost. They're one of the 3,000 that get saved. The church is newly forming. I mean, you got, can you imagine being a pastor and ha- starting out with 3,000 people? And then a couple days later, you got 8,000 people? Yeah. So what's happening? You as the leader, Peter and the, the 12, they're having to find what gifts has God put on people's life because we need leadership in this church, right? <laughs> Correct? Yes. And there's a gift on Ananias and Sapphira. And they begin to surface as leaders. And with leadership comes what? Recognition, right? And, and, and they go from being, oh, thank God we're saved to not saying it, but thinking it. Man, I'm really liking this recognition. I like being invited into the green room. Gosh, this is really cool, man. They're saving seats for me now. This is really cool. Okay? But now they get in this really intense domestic fight. They are fighting like cats and dogs, Ananias and Sapphira at home, right? Their kids are rebellious because the parents are fighting so much, right? So now, on Instagram, they do a picture, smiles, and Ananias posts, love doing life with this babe. She's my honey to this day. They got the family, they're all, say, you got to smile. The kids are like, okay, smile. Oh, man, 
Live in the dream. Live in the dream, right? So they're projecting all this on Instagram. They come to church. They're fighting like crazy on the way to church. And then at church, they're like, hi, oh, we love each other so much, right? Right? What are they doing? They're projecting an image of leadership. It seems harmless. Not only to them, but to everybody else. Seems harmless. But what have they done? They have gone into the place of living out of their projected image because what's more important to them is the way people perceive them, their perceived image, than their actual image. So this is going on in every area of life. And now all of a sudden the day comes when the man outgives them. Okay, we have been in this pattern of living out of our projected image. So we sell the big plot of land. It's way too much to give. So we're going to project that we're giving it all. Wow. It's been harmless on social, inst- uh, on social media. Wow. It's been harmless so far. It's, it's not hurt anything. It's actually shown people that as Christians, we have great families. And Ananias and Sapphira, they kind of risen together. They go, you know, well, well, you, you know, it's going to encourage people to give more. Wow. So they start justifying their projected image, and they're causing the ends to justify the means. Man, people are going to be more stirred up to give if they know that we're giving it all, that we're sacrificially giving the entire, this this will encourage giving in the church. This is a good thing. So they come. But the problem is they did it in the presence of the glory. And now what seemed harmless, they're dead. Like six feet under the ground dead? Folks, this is New Testament church. And in case you didn't know, in case you didn't know this, God says the glory of the latter house is going to be greater than the former. God says, I gave you the former moderately. So that's why I said earlier, in times past when God began to do something, men got in the way, men stopped it. In this move that's coming, men get in the way and they're going to be Ananias and Sapphira. You still with me? Listen to what Paul says. So don't make any judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he'll bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each one whatever praise is due. That's not the sinner's judgment. That's the believer's judgment. Because the Bible says that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account of our thoughts, words, actions, intentions whether good or evil. And that's talking to believers. Unbelievers will not get praise from God at their judgment seat. Believers will. Your motives and your intentions are going to be exposed for everyone to see at the judgment seat of Christ. I hope that puts holy fear in you. Because you know what that will do? That will adjust your motives. This is why the fear of the Lord says, I hate perverted speech. I hate, hate, hate perverted speech. Perverted speech is, we sold it for this much, but you're keeping back. It's deception. The fear of the Lord actually addresses your motives. It addresses your intentions. It is what keeps your conscience pure. Now, we live in a county here in Orange County that is based off of projected image. The whole society of this Southern California, if there's any place on earth other than maybe Chicago, Fifth Avenue, 
excuse me, uh, Michigan Street and New York Fifth Avenue and Manhattan, there is no place I know that put, puts more emphasis on projected image and perceived image than this county, which means we're going to have to be people set apart. We're going to be people. We're going to be people that live from the truth in our hearts. Remember Jesus said God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Okay, we understand spirit. What about truth? That word truth is the Hebrew, Greek word aletheia, which means the base level of something. It's your motive and intention. You really want to have an authentic relationship with God? You cannot have it with living out of your projected image. Because God hates deception. So they're sitting there creating an image on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, that projects them one way because they want to be perceived. But they're actually living something totally different. And when the glory of the Lord meets up with something like that, there is a reaction. It's like sunbathing before the sun at 10,000 miles. God has been merciful to us in holding back his glory. He's been merciful. He said, I love them so much, I can't come near them. And that's frustrating for him because half of them might fall over dead. And now we got preachers going, grace of God. Oh, you can live, you can sin, it's okay. Jesus did it. Don't worry about it. Yes, Jesus did it. Yes, he took my sins away, thank God. But John writes, these things I write unto you that you don't sin. He doesn't say, and, and if we sin, he doesn't say when we sin. He says if. The goal is not to sin. When we do if, that's an if. But the way we're projecting grace is, don't worry about it, man. God knows you got needs. He knows you live in a human body. We are setting people up for judgment. We're setting people up to receive the grace of God in vain, as Paul said to the Corinthian church. I'm telling you, we need a good, healthy dose of the holy fear of God. We do as a church. We do as a nation. We have got to remember who it is we're serving. Amen. Amen. I want every head bowed, every eye closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Father, I preach what you've commanded me to preach, and I thank you so much for your faithfulness. God, thank you for being so merciful to us. God, Father, thank you for being so merciful. You loved us so much. You've been so kind to us. But Lord, you said in the last days, you'll cut the work of righteousness short. The time is short. And I'm asking, Lord, these people are so beautiful. I don't want them in the way of the wave of your spirit. I don't want them on the outside looking in. You want them right in the cutting edge of what you're doing. Because the churches took comfort in the fear of the Lord, Lord. 
Even so, the churches that walk in the holy fear of God will take comfort from your spirit in these days to come. If you're in here this morning with your heads bowed, your eyes closed, I want you to be honest. No, no, more, no more projecting your image. You sit there and you go, you know what? I have lacked the holy fear of God. I put more emphasis on what I project than who I really am. And I'm ready to repent right now before the glory manifests in the church. I'm, 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 I, I couldn't wait till you're done. If you say that's me, I want you to stand up right now if that's you. I put too much emphasis on what I project and the way people perceive me. And I want, I, I want to repent of that right now. Stand up fast, fast. If you really mean it, stand up fast. I'm so proud of you guys. It's, it's time. There's so many. There's probably 30% of the people standing. But it's time to examine your own heart. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? Some people are going to look up to see if other people stood up before they stood up. It's all about image. Again, it's between you and God. That's why I have your eyes closed. I don't want you seeing what anybody else does. I don't care if you're the only one standing. Yes, thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else? I want to make sure nobody's missed. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I want to make sure nobody's missed. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. You're worth the wait. I'm glad you got up. If you're in here and you'd say, John, I really don't know Jesus. I sure like church. I like what I feel when I'm in church. The vibe's good. I don't have a relationship with him. The only way you can have a relationship with him is give him your entire life. And now he's the master of your life. If you say that's me and, and you say, I want to receive Jesus Christ, man. I, I can sense his presence in here. I want to receive him. And I know I'm filthy and I can't stand before God. I need his blood to cover me and cleanse me. If that's you, stand up. I want to pray for you. Just stand up right now. Stay standing, everybody else. Everybody else stay standing. I just want you to join these people that are already standing. If that's you, just stand up quickly. I want to make sure you're not left out. Okay, this is beautiful. Yes, sir. I'm so proud of you, young man. Anybody else? Anybody else? All right, I, I want us all to pray this prayer with your heads bowed. I want you to lift your hands up. This is a sign of surrendering. You're about to change this morning because here's what the fear of the Lord does. The fear of the Lord works in you both the will and to do of his good pleasure. The fear of the Lord gets you to hate, hate presumption, hate projecting an image that's not real. You'll hate it. You won't, you won't want anything to do with it because of what he's gonna do in your heart. He, this is where the grace of God comes in. This is true grace. Say this with me out loud. Say, God in heaven. Say it strong. God in heaven, thank you so much for speaking to me today through your servant. I realize that I've lived life my way. I've projected my image that I wanted to be perceived by. Forgive me for this. I repent of my lack of godly fear. But this morning, with a greater understanding than I've ever had before. I give my life to Jesus. Jesus, you are my king. You are my Lord and master. I give you 100% of my life. I hold nothing back. My heart, my soul, my spirit, 
my life, everything I am, everything I own are now yours. You are the King, the Lord, and the Master of my life. You are my bridegroom, and you are now my friend. Please baptize me in the holy fear of God. I ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And now lift your hands up. Father, in Jesus' name, I am asking you to baptize every one of these men and women in the holy fear of God. Baptize them in the spirit of the fear of the Lord. I thank you for doing this, Lord God. Ask him for it right now where you're standing. Just say, Father, baptize me in holy fear. Remember, Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. Ask him to do it in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody that agrees shouts, Amen. Amen. Let's give him praise. You can be seated.